Roger that, Houston. All systems five by five. But what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Fascinating. Get away from her, you bitch! Welcome to the Nerdfest podcast. Today we've got Ian McLaughlin, Peter Johnson, John Farley, and I'm Hazel Burton. On today's show, we have got a film buff or film bluff quiz. We're going to be talking about the life and career of Stanley, who sadly passed away this week at the age of 95, and we'll be sharing our thoughts and memories of him. We have got a group discussion on a TV show that has captured our hearts and minds, which is Killing Eve. And we've got an appearance from Ian Mayer, who is still trapped in the void. This is like nearly a year now, isn't it, that he's been trapped there? Yeah. When the money runs out, they'll have to let him go. <laughs> okay, let's start the show. Well, I got a ransom note, by the way, from the void. How long ago? About four or five months. Do you think you mentioned it? I should put it in the bin. <laughs> oh, you can read it? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it had an ear in it. <laughs> Looked like his. But I get a bollock, I'll be, you know, I'll take it seriously. Eventually you'll get out bit by bit. <laughs> it's a very long and slow escape plan. <laughs> okay, it's time for our film buff or film bluff quiz. So the way this works is that all of us has got three pieces of entertainment trivia. But one of them is completely false. We've made them up. So we have to try and work out which one is the bluff. John, would you like to go first? Yep. My film buff or film bluff is about TV this week. And it's about the popular late 80s, early 90s TV show Quantum Leap. <gasps> uh, if you ever want to get out of a boring conversation, just sort of halfway through the sentence, just keep talking. And then suddenly just go, Ziggy? Al? Oh boy. And wonder off. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the premise of Quantum Leap, for those who are not familiar, is every episode will be a different tale in which Sam Beckett, played by Scott Bakula, Scott Bakula, the guy from Enterprise, mm-hmm. would jump into a different body and would have to somehow right a wrong in that person's life before he was able to leap into another body and the cycle repeats until cancellation. So I have three episodes of Quantum Leap two of which were genuine episodes, or one of which I have made up. Episode number one. Sam Beckett jumps into the body of an artist who lives in a coffin, can only come out at night, and may or may not be a vampire. His mission is to save his girlfriend, who will be found in two days' time, dead as a result of a sacrifice, with all the blood drained from her body. At the conclusion... Sam looks in a mirror where he would normally see what his body looks like in this reality (laughs) and sees nothing at all. He was a real vampire all along. And that isn't just you picked a story that rhymed with the name of the lead actor. No, Bacula Dracula. (laughs) Number two, Sam jumps into the body of a chimp in a cage (laughs) in a science laboratory who is about to be sent into space. He spends the entire episode wearing diapers in a cage and he has to A, stop himself being sent into space and B, stop his girlfriend, who is also a chimpanzee, <laughs> from being used for medical experiments that will result in her death. Episode number three. Scott jumps into the body of someone who is part way through doing surgery. He realises he is removing the person's kidneys for sale in the black market because he has been held hostage and forced to undertake surgeries in order to pay off his father's debts to the mob. 
At the conclusion, he saves the mob boss's pet chihuahua, and the mob boss is so happy, he not only pays off his father's debts, he also pays for Sam to go through vet school and become a vet, which he's always dreamed of. Has anyone seen Quantum Leap? I have, yes. I don't remember any of those episodes. Okay. Ah... What do you reckon? Ch- chimps possible, but I surely think... that's going to be... You're going to spend the entire thing in a cage, aren't you? Yeah, I think that's quite out there, but I think that's but probably they went, real. But they did go for the occasion mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. off the wall one, didn't they? Sometimes mm-hmm. they would just try to break the format a bit. Yeah, I think the becoming the vet one is probably the, the bluff, just because I saw John smile. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go for the vet as well. <laughs> the monkey one, his girlfriend, who is also a chimp, the experiment is, I think they're going to put a crash helmet on her and ram her into a wall to see what would happen if she crashed <laughs> in space. <laughs> That's awful. From my recollection of it. I'm going to go with that as bullshit. Yeah. Which what, one's the that chimp the? One? the chimp. You think the, the chimp one is bullshit? You've gone for... I'm, I'm sticking with the vet. The, with the vets as the well. Vets. The vet one is bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sam did jump into a chimp. He jumped into somebody who was probably a vampire... He jumped into Lee Harvey Oswald, mm. where you thought his job was to stop the assassination of JFK, but it was actually to save the life of Jacqueline Kennedy, mm. who originally mm. also died. Jumped into Elvis Presley, Chuck Berry, Dr. Ruth, the famous sex therapist, played herself. So it was an odd show. My favourite one, I think, is where he jumps into a man who is undergoing electroshock therapy. And then spends the entire episode cycling through various different personalities where people are being leaped into differently whilst trying to engineer a way to get some more electroshock therapy to cure himself. Highly recommended. Mm. Yeah, I'm going to watch that. <laughs> I have three unrelated Buffle Bluffs. The first one is that David Bowie auditioned for the London production of Naked 60s musical Hair four times. The second one is that Cards Against Humanity bought their own six-acre island and named it Hawaii 2. And the third one is that M. Night Shyamalan got his nickname Knight at film school because most of his student films were shot day for night. Which one is bullshit? I think the M. Night Shyamalan one is the bullshit. I think so as well. It depends whether Peter's trying to be clever here, because I know Cards Against Humanity bought an island. But I don't know if they named it Hawaii 2. I think it was a 12 Days of Christmas thing. And you got a different surprise every day. And one of the surprises was you owned part of an island. Mm. So I know that happened. But whether they called it Hawaii 2 or whether it's Hawaii 3. And... <laughs> I can tell you the campaign was called the Holiday Bullshit Campaign. That's the one, yes. Yeah. And that the island, whatever it may be called, is carved into lots and given to 250,000 mm-hmm. licensees. Its website... Describes it as the okayest place on earth. Yeah, I think that's true. Right. That's yeah. too crazy to be made mm-hmm. up. We could just check the website, see if it exists. If we were cheating. Okay, the first one was David Bowie auditioned for Hair four times in the 60s. Is, is the right age? I can imagine him having done that. But I know a lot about Bowie and I don't remember that. And the third one was I'm Night Shamalanga Ding Dong. <laughs> shot all his films day for night without a script or any discernible talent. I'm going to go for that simply because then there will be a plot twist at the end if it is yeah. the fact that it wasn't true. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. I'm going for the M. Night Shyamalan. Everyone is. Okay. 
That is the bluff. Yeah. 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 His real name is Manoj Neliatu Shyamalan, and it's thought he made up night because no one could pronounce his real middle name when he moved from India to Pennsylvania. Some of those student films are included on the DVDs of his first couple of films, like The Sixth Sense. Are we looking forward to Glass? Oh yeah, definitely. The Unbreakable sequel. Yeah, and the Split sequel. Are you ready to buff or bluff? Yes, I am. So... Inspired by my recent documentary watch of Making a Murderer, I have three synopses for documentaries that have been made, but I've made the plot for one of them up. Okay. Mm. So the first one is called Cinemania, came out in 2002. It follows the routine of five cinephiles in New York City, all of whom claim to watch at least two films a day. The subjects seem incapable of occupying a job due to this. They live off inheritances or disability benefits. Each come with their own quirks, like Eric Chadbourne, who has an intense adoration for musicals and romantic comedies over everything else, or Roberta Hill, who is a woman known for attacking ushers for tearing too much of her ticket stuff. second one is called Grey Gardens and came out in 1975. It follows the cousins of Jackie Onassis, big and little Edie Bouvier Beale. They occupy a rundown mansion and they fanatically live out their days as former socialites and artists. They sing, dance, and dress as if preparing for a show, though their audience is made up of good-natured raccoons and a family of cats. (laughs) The third one is called The Rise and Fall of Prop Comedy, came out in 2016. This series chronicles the use of prop comedy from Gallagher, who used to smash watermelons with a sledgehammer, to Jeff Dunham, who used to carry around a suitcase full of puppet friends. It intersperses the footage with a contemporary look at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, where prop comedy saw a bit of a revival, including award-winning shows from Sam Simmons, Seymour Mack and Spencer Jones. That's what we did wrong at Edinburgh. We had no props. Or talent. (laughs) (laughs) Or gags. So you've got Cinemania, which focuses on five cinephiles in New York. You've got Grey Gardens, which focuses on Jackie and Ness's cousins. And you've got the rise and fall of prop comedy. Cinemania was a Microsoft film database in the late 90s, early 2000s. I think it might have been. It was something like that. You could watch two films a day and hold down a job quite easily. I mean, Peter, you watch two films a day? <laughs> I do not. <laughs> and you've, oh no, hang on. Ian, do you watch two films a day? I watch uh, maybe two films a week. Mm-hmm. And neither of you have jobs. <laughs> um, <laughs> Speak of. <laughs> I've heard Grey Gardens before. Mm-hmm. And I'm aware of that being vaguely right, but not Jackie Anassis. I'm going to go for the prop comedy. Don't know why, even though there's some uh, viable names dropping in there. I think it might be something else, like the one-liner gag rather than prop comedy or something. I'm, I think that might be the bluff. The thing is, I'm pretty I... sure Cinemania is true, because I think, I'm, think I've seen something like that. And you've got to want to see a bunch of kids performing to Cats and Raccoons. <laughs> you've got to. <laughs> How much of a comedy nerd are you, Hazel? I would say not a massive one, but mm. yeah, because no, every were, now and again. There were some niche correct references in there, mm-hmm. sort of Gallagher smashes the watermelons, but Jeff Dunn is still quite popular. He's a guy who has the racist puppets. Mm-hmm. Yep, carries around in the suitcase. And I don't remember there being much prop comedy at Edinburgh. This was the festival in 2015 oh, okay. when there were several shows that won awards with their prop comedy. Oh, she's backing up with facts. She is backing so up with facts. That's the lie, yeah. it's got to be. She's clever like that. Mm. I think Cinemania is wrong because any woman that attacks Ushers for tearing off too much of a ticket isn't going to be able to see two films a day at cinema much longer. She's going to be like, <laughs> you know you know when you go to a pub and your face is behind the bar and you say, don't serve this man. Yeah. 
Yeah, they're just going to do that in the cinema. Well, my face. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go for the prop comedy. I think that's the fake. Although there's, there's some truth somehow in it. I'm going to go for the cinemania. Okay. Prop comedy. The bluff is prop comedy. Hey. <laughs> yes. No documentary has been made of the rise and fall of prop comedy, but there should be. There should be. Mm. I did. Yeah, I did. I did my research. I looked up <laughs> a famous prop comedian. Very good. Very convincing. <laughs> that was really, yeah. yeah. Very convincing. Only because I think I've seen a bit of Cinemania or at least mm. seen the trailer at some point. So I knew mm-hmm. that was true. And the other one I just wanted to be true. Mm. Desperately. So she gets angry if people rip too much of her tickets. Yeah. Because so she it, keeps it, them as a souvenir okay. for each thing she sees. Much, then she um, throws a wobbler. Wobbly. Women, eh? Cool. <laughs> I've got two bluffs and one truth. So it goes slightly against uh, form, but I think it'd be interesting. This is unprecedented. <laughs> Here's a famous sound effect. I'll do that again. Anyway, the sound effect you just heard is the Wilhelm scream. It's a very mm-hmm. famous scream that's been used in over 389 movies. Mm-hmm. It's become a bit of a joke that, that it gets snuck into many, many famous films. I'm going to name three films. Only one of these actually has the Wilhelm scream in it. <laughs> what? <laughs> Two don't, which we think it is. Mm-hmm. So, does the Wilhelm scream appear in Scream? Godfather. Titanic. It only appears in one of those oh, three. I'm sure it's in Titanic. I'm sure it's in, is it the guy who falls off the edge and hits a propeller? <laughs> and it's in an Indiana Jones film doing something similar as well. Yeah. Is it um, when Kate Winslet takes it to her and like, he goes, I will paint you like a French girl and then she gets her clothes <laughs> off and he goes like, Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> because he's, he's happy. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know, but I would have said James Cameron would have it in Titanic because he's quite cineliterate and it would be the kind of thing that he'd put in as a nice little reference, but then so is Coppola. What's the other option? Scream. Scream. Uh, I don't think Scream. And Godfather. Yeah. I'm going to go Titanic as true. The first Godfather. Where, whereabouts in the... Second Godfather. Whereabouts, Godfather. Oh, the second Godfather. Okay, whereabouts? You want to know in detail where it is? Whereabouts in the Godfather 2 is the Wilhelm scream? Uh, it's in the restaurant scene. From the Godfather 1? No, not that one where you kill people. There's <laughs> a restaurant scene, cafe scene, where they all come marching in with guns and uh, there's a scream. There's a scream. <laughs> and in Scream, the movie, it happens three times. Mm. Could you tell us all three times? <laughs> and in Titanic, it's where he takes her in the taxi. okay i'm gonna go for he had to look at his handsome cab (laughs) yeah so there's one movie that it is in and then two that isn't so i'm gonna go for titanic so you reckon that scream is in titanic i'm gonna go for titanic titanic okay well you're all wrong Mm. oh but right (laughs) (laughs) yes it appears in titanic but not in scream not going to father. It does appear in things like Star Wars, Back to the Future, and basically all those mm-hmm. sci-fi directors. It's one where ILM were doing sound for quite yeah. a few of them. It's a great scream, though. Give us your rendition. Ah! Good. That's 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 the the uh, the Ian scream will be replaced in the Wilhelm scream. Okay. Give us yours now. Ah! Okay. No point in running. <laughs> Ah! Shall we see which is the nearest? <laughs> <laughs> ah! 
<laughs> there we are. There it is. That's, that's, I think Peter wins. Yeah. <laughs> the origins of it were shrouded in mystery to some extent. They're not quite sure who it was that was recorded. The name comes off a reel of sound effect tapes. I listened to a documentary on this particular sound effect. Sadly. I'm looking at Wikipedia. It's most likely voiced by actor Sheb Woolley. And the sound is named after Private Wilhelm, a character in The Charge of the Feather Riller. 1953. And as Dan is on tour in America, he has pre-recorded his film buff for us. With the rest of us. Yeah. Peter, can you edit it in? <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> I'd just like to say thanks awfully. Thanks. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. Right that of you. <laughs> I've dug into some Spider-Man mythology and have two true things about Spider-Man and one not true thing. So these are my spider buffs or spider bluffs. Number one, in addition to his own video games, Spider-Man appears in the Tony Hawk skateboarding game series. Number two, Spider-Man has radioactive sperm. (laughs) Number three, The idea of a Spider-Man musical was first conceived by Michael Jackson. By radioactive sperm, so if he were to procreate with one of his, you know, Mary Jane or whatever, they would also be Spider-Man. They were his spawn. I can neither confirm nor deny. Mm. It would be like a fly thing that would come out half spidery, half human maybe. Hmm. Like Venom. Well, (laughs) he's not radioactive, is he? So why would he just have radioactive jizz? He's got radioactive blood, according to the song. Oh, yeah. Is he strong with some blood? He's got radioactive blood. I'm not sure that's the go-to source for mm. facts on Spider-Man. His is jizz, safe to eat. <laughs> no, it's not. It's radioactive. Doesn't <laughs> 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 scan quite. That's the second verse. <laughs> the little herd, second verse. First, yeah. Uh, Tony Hawk, does anyone know? That does ring a bell. There were some weird mm. guest stars in that I, series. That's, that's true. The third one was an odd choice just because it almost seems to be a repetition of one we had in a previous week, but isn't, about Michael Jackson wanting to be Spider-Man. The first one was a Spider-Man musical. Turn Off the Dark? Turn Off the Dark, yeah. I think it, it ran for a lot longer than people thought. It didn't have terrible technical troubles trying to open. it had a, a death. No, it had quite a few injuries, more than one, and Julie Taymor was responsible, and then she got the sack. Not responsible for the injury. She, no, she was about, directing the... She wasn't going about her yeah. baseball bat, but you're <laughs> fucking Spider-Man. <laughs> I hate spiders. <laughs> of course, obviously, she did The Lion King. She's done films as well. Yeah. Yeah. Did she do that awful Beatles film? She did Across the Universe, yeah. I quite like Across the Universe. I lent it to Hazel, in fact, uh-huh. several months ago. She looks blank. Obviously didn't yeah. watch it. Yeah, <laughs> to- totally safe. Yeah. We all own each other's DVD collection now. I think we just lend them to each other in a, yeah. in a, in a circle. Yeah, I still haven't watched Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> How many years is that? Four. Four years, I think, yeah. I've still got your Newsroom Season 2 hostage. I actually downloaded that off uh, Amazon. <laughs> you owe me £24. I didn't pay that much for it. <laughs> so we know there was a Spider-Man musical. We don't know that Michael Jackson was involved. It's the sort of thing he would do. It, did he want to cast Macaulay Culkin in the part? Macaulay Culkin is on record saying there was never any funny business. There's never any funny business in any of Macaulay Culkin's films, which is probably why his career faltered. <laughs> uh. 
Was that you finally confessing that you believe Home Alone not to be a comedy, but a dark study of psychopathy? Yes. Good. I generally find Home Alone disturbing because yeah. they'd be dead. Yeah, I know. I, I can't watch it. I've never been able to. Yeah. The burglars would be dead. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're getting bricks thrown into them. Oh, yeah. yeah. I hate it. I feel really sorry for them. And the success of Home Alone spawned a series of ones that did the same sort of thing, but not quite yeah. as well. There was one called Baby's mm-hmm. Day Out. The horrific things that happened to the baddies in that. With Home Alone, you can excuse it as an evil demon child torturing two people who then goes on to be Jigsaw from Saw. But <laughs> the baby is completely oblivious to all of this stuff. I was probably six or seven. We went to watch that at the cinema. And we left before the end because I was upset <laughs> at what was happening to these poor people. I can't watch films like that. Mm-hmm. And I don't understand why people think it's hilarious. So, radioactive. Yeah, I don't. Mm. I, I think that's the bluff. I mean, it would make it sterile for one thing. Yeah. Did Mary Jane die horribly? Was this a comic arc that we didn't see? I can never confirm that. Through intercourse. There's the condom splits and there's three years of radiotherapy. Oh. Really. <laughs> 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 it, was, it, was, it was a twist. Um, yeah, that's, I think that's the plus. Like, how, Hasn't there genuinely been something like that with Superman? He's an alien, though. If so he, that's a whole other thing. Yeah, but if, if, if you've got like, the super strength sperm. But he, he couldn't have the sex as Superman. Remember? He, he became human in Superman yeah. too, so he could have sex. But then in the comics, he's married to Lois Lane, but they don't have children. And it was an arc in the TV series, Lois and Clark, remember? Where they were trying to get Terry pregnant. Hatcher. Yeah, and then the cliffhanger was a baby arrived on the doorstep. And then it got cancelled, so we never found out what <laughs> happened. I can't remember that. I spent mm-hmm. a lot of Saturday mornings watching that. My dad that. quite openly lusted after Terry Hatcher. Every Saturday afternoon, it's quite awkward. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, what are we going for? Uh, I'm going for a radioactive yeah. right sperm. I think that's I think that's ludicrous <laughs> enough to be true. I'm going to go for Michael Jackson was never involved in a Spider-Man musical. John is correct. Oh. Uh, if you got 100% on Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2, you unlocked Spider-Man as a character. And... Yeah, a 2006 comic storyline called Rain revealed that Spider-Man has killed Mary Jane because of... Fuck, I was right. (laughs) Jesus, I was joking. In the comic, he describes it as working like a spider, crawling up inside your body and laying a thousand eggs of cancer. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's the most horrible thing I could think of, and that actually was true. That's actually a milder (laughs) part of that. I read the rest of that storyline. It is... So, yeah, Spider-Man has radioactive sperm. Um, (laughs) But uh, Michael Jackson never came up with the idea of a Spider-Man musical, though, as we know, he tried to buy Marvel so he could be Spider-Man in the film. Imagine doing it with Quicksilver. You'd never know. know, Exactly. (laughs) Wow, you're so fast. (laughs) One of my exes must be Quicksilver then. (laughs) Oh! When the girl says, make it quick. (laughs) (laughs) Now we're going to hear from Ian Mayer, 12 months into the void, and let's let's show you. Now we're going to hear from Ian Void, who is... (laughs) (laughs) Who's stuck in the mayor? (laughs) Ian Void, you're stuck in the mayor. (laughs) 
Hello nerds, Ian Mayer here, still trapped in the void between Avengers movies. Eric Olsen, who's the showrunner of season three of the Netflix Daredevil show, has pitched season four to Netflix. He's been quite public about this, which is kind of a rare move, but it's with them to decide whether to continue this. Now, the Daredevil Netflix show is one I really like. It's as good as I can imagine a superhero TV show being, really. The thing I like most about it is it's taken one idea and really ran with it over a number of series. Now, when the first season launched in 2015, it was under a bit of a cloud. I'm not sure if you can remember this. Drew Goddard was the announced creator and showrunner, former Buffy writer. He'd also worked on Alias and Lost with J.J. Abrams. He dropped out very early in production to make a Spider-Man villain movie, The Sinister Six, at Sony Pictures. This didn't happen, but still, he was off the show and stepping into the breach was Stephen Denight. He's another former Buffy guy. He did a great job. It's a series which really delivers on Drew Goddard's vision for Daredevil. Drew is on record of saying he wanted to do something quite different with Matt Murdock of Daredevil, which is to show him as being an addict, addicted to being a vigilante, someone not quite in control. And you can really see it if you watch that first series. Matt goes out each night, beats folk up, gets up the next morning feeling like shit and struggles through his day and goes out and does it again. He lies to his friends about it. It costs him relationships. It's a really sort of torturous life. Now, season two was different showrunners again, Doug Petrie and Marco Ramirez. These two really ran with the metaphor and expanded the addiction idea very clearly with two very particular takes on famous Marvel characters, the Punisher and Electra. Now, the Punisher, Frank Castle, he's the cautionary tale. He's an illustration of where the life, the violence, the pain will lead you. If vigilante is an addiction, then this is the guy made homeless because of it. And then you have Electra. Electra Naturist is no stranger to being adapted on film, but here again she's filling quite a different role than she's normally portrayed as. She's kind of the flip side to what the Punisher is in Matt's story in that she represents the glamour of addiction. She's the crazy ex, she's the excess, she's the attraction of submerging yourself in your problem. The Daredevil Season 2 story of Matt and Electra actually ended in The Defenders, which was the crossover Netflix Marvel TV show with Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and Iron Fist. And it ended with these characters in a very difficult spot. Which brings us to Daredevil Season 3. If Season 1 introduces Matt as an addict and Season 2 takes him to kind of rock bottom, Season 3 is the redemption story, which the new showrunner, Eric Olsen, really, really ran with. And now he's pitched Season 4. I really want season four to happen. I think there's an awful lot to do. A lot has been made of how great the cast of Daredevil is and we could really see a lot more from them. But if he does get it, where will he go? Because this metaphor is now at an end. But you know what? If season four doesn't happen, we still had a thorough examination of a very particular idea of who Matt Murdock has been. And it's been absolutely great for me. That's it from me from this bizarre cosmic void. Later, nerds. Okay, we're going to dedicate a bit of time on the podcast now to talking about the life and career of Stan Lee, who unfortunately passed away recently at the age of 95, profoundly affected us as nerds in different ways. Who would like to input first on the legendary Stan Lee? When did you first become aware of Stan Lee as a person? Early teens, probably, because uh, he used to write the editorial in comics I would read. 
the Spider-Man cartoons and the Incredible Hulk cartoons, he would mm. give like a little intro and an end. So he was always like the voice of the cartoons to me before I realised he was a comic book writer. Mm. Uh, for me, it was probably when they first started making a thing about him cameoing in the early mm. X-Men films. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't have known who it was had there not been press around it going, and we've got a cameo from Stan Lee who created the X-Men. Go, oh, wow, that's him. And then you hear about him and, oh, Spider-Man and, oh, the Fantastic Four, and it goes on and on. That was the way in mm. for me. It was through those cameos and then going, oh, wow, this guy is Marvel. If not mm. in terms of actuality, certainly in terms of being a figurehead. Mm. You think of Marvel, you associate it with Stan Lee. How did it work? Did he ever own Marvel or did he um, always work for it? He was always an employee. Mm-hmm. He worked for them for a while just doing the generic comics of the day. I think he was about to quit. He was sort of heading towards 40. And his wife, who is a Gosforth girl, <laughs> I discovered this week, said, well, you know, before you quit, why don't you just write what you want to write? Just do one and put everything you want into it. And that was a fantastic four. Not a bad start. No. But famously, what he did was he would take comic book heroes and he would put them in the real world and he would give them frailties and personalities. They weren't just, you know, the chisel-jawed heroes that Superman and, to a lesser extent, Batman was. So dealt with real world problems and... They were relatable. You yeah. know, like Spider-Man, um, you to do his homework as well as mm. save the world, I think is... And he's the one that Stanley most closely associated himself with, I think. Yeah. Spider-Man. Mm. Mm. And... That's also why so many of them are not just in the real world, but in New York, because mm-hmm. that's where he lived, that's where he grew up, and that yeah. was the area he knew. So there was that level of physical grounding. Like Spider-Man was from Queens, Captain America was from Brooklyn when he wrote him, and the Baxter Building from Fantastic Four's I'm there. I'm going to stop you there. I don't think Captain America was Stanley. I think Captain America is the only one On... that predates Stanley. Yes, he didn't create him, but he but wrote, he wrote him. for him. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I liked how he made people who were different feel that shouldn't be something to be ashamed of like it's something to embrace helen o'hara on the empire podcast was talking about the x-men series and how it was symbolism for people being gay and people thinking there was like a special pill to get rid of it or something like that whereas like with a mutant there mm. is have you ever tried not being a mutant and trying to stamp the mutant out of them mm. and there was that kind of undertones and i that's how I kind of associate him with allowing people who were different or different from whatever society deems conventional to realise that actually, no, it's that they're actually quite special. And I think his relationship with the fans, he jokes about how he does all the signings and stuff for the money, but I don't think it was. I think he, he genuinely loved his fans and loved spending time with them, loved getting feedback. Hence why he did, you know, all the, the cameos. Mm. And he enjoyed that. And there was a bit of like the showman and the carnival huckster about him, but I think it needed that. And I think maybe the reason that he's the name that everybody knows, as opposed to sort of Jack Kirby or Steve Ditko or all the people who are sort of, you know, equally as involved in creating these characters, was that he just had that personality that he put everything out there. If it was all work for hire, did he end up with any sort of share of royalties from the characters? This is quite a big comic book thing going all the way back to Superman. Because when you're working for a company, you have the idea when you're working for them, Mm -hmm. and the idea belongs to them. Mm -hmm. And I think the two creators of Superman, there were all sorts of lawsuits over decades trying to get things back. So I think it was a similar sort of thing. You create the characters, but Mm -hmm. the characters belong to the company and not to the creator. 
And there's also been a similar thing because originally it tended to be the writers who asserted the creation of the character and then it's taken a while for the role played by the artists to also get mm-hmm. recognised. Yeah. I mean, it got a payday from the movies. Um, I think there was some litigation sort of the 80s or 90s where he ended up with some ownership stake and he, you know, he was like the lifetime president of Marvel. So he didn't have that breakdown with them that Siegel and Schuster famously did. What's your favourite Stan Lee cameo? So many. Yeah. Mine's Tony Stank in Civil War. FedEx guy. There's a cool one in Guardians of the Galaxy or Guardians of the Galaxy 2 where it suggests that all the cameos are the same person. Mm -hmm. He's like this intergalactic watcher looking over the Marvel Universe and he just appears in these small roles. I like like that one. This one portrays him in a strange light. It's like, I don't know, he's at a sex show. Well, there's there's something Uh, really bizarre. In Deadpool, I think he's in a a strip club. Okay, that that makes sense. (laughs) The Lego Marvel superheroes game. Uh, there's a Stanley in peril mm. in each oh, level, yes. Yes, and you is. have to rescue him. <laughs> and uh, I think he says, "Excelsior, true believers!" <laughs> when you do so. So maybe that. One of my uh, favourite things growing up <laughs> was a book I had called "How to Draw Comics the Marvel Way" by Stanley. Oh yeah. Which taught you all about comic drawing. So why did he write a book on drawing comics? Because Stanley's name was on the cover. I'm not sure how much involvement. <laughs> Although a lot of it was written in Stan speak. I, mean, I used to try and draw my own superhero comics when I was a child. And how did they look? They were fucking amazing. It was like, uh, <laughs> honestly, uh, I created Superman. <laughs> Unfortunately, I Only found years out someone late. had done it 50 years before me. Yeah, But other than that, it was all, all fine. I think I might have had Poopy Fartman at one point. <laughs> he, he was awesome. What were his powers? A magic-powered fart that could destroy yeah. the city. That was when you were in your late 20s, wasn't it? <laughs> I was going to pitch it, actually. That's the reason I was in LA last month. Warners are interested. They reckon, you know, it's better than Justice League. What isn't? <laughs> so, we know that a few years ago, Marvel filmed a load of Stan Lee cameos in advance. Mm. Because he was in his 90s by that point. How many more There's do we two know? two more, I think. Yeah, Avengers Ca- 4 and Spider-Man Homecoming, he's definitely mm. in. What about Captain Marvel? I don't though he didn't create the Captain Marvel character, did he? I'm not sure so. whether he will. But he didn't create Deadpool either. No. I think it started off as him just being in the ones that he'd created, but then become a bit fast and loose with that. Yeah. But I know he's certainly in Avengers and Spidey. I think it'd be nice if the last one is a Spider Man film. Yeah. I think that's a mm. a fitting cap. So presumably they must have filmed stuff without any idea how the film was going to work out though. Not that it matters, really. Yeah. So, I mean, say for Spider-Man, there's there's one where he plays a bus driver. Yeah. It would probably be easy enough to have him turn around and say something as the bus driver mm-hmm. and then use a dummy scene from behind for the rest mm-hmm. of it. Well, certainly towards the end of his life, he wasn't in the best health and they'd get him out and do four or five in one day. But uh, he was blind as well for sort of the last big chunk of his life. I had very, very poor vision. Civil War, he never saw it. Because in Thor Ragnarok, he plays a hairdresser who gives Thor his new sexy look. He says, now sit still, my vision isn't what it used to be. So is that like an in-joke then? Yes. <laughs> Thanks, John. He says, <laughs> with a mouthful of Harry Um <laughs> I know he was saying, like, he was an interview where he said, oh, everyone says Civil War's great, but I can't see it. It was a little bit sad. But I think I'd rather remember the good times yes. rather than the... Yeah. Every so often you forget just how important he's been for the world of superheroes, and it's just amazing that one person should have had so much involvement. For the world of popular culture. 
the influence of Marvel goes beyond comics now. Yeah. It's affected the entire cinema industry. There are that many kids who dress up as his creations. It's a global impact that all kind of goes back to the one person. And it's rare that you have one individual who, like the web of a spider in Spider-Man, just <laughs> affects so many millions of people, directly or indirectly. And it's a nice note to end on. Yes, rest in peace. Excelsior. 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 So one thing we did want to have a quick chat about is a TV series that has got all of us hooked, and that is Killing Eve. came out this year and was produced for BBC America. It's based on a novel series called Codename Villanelle and adapted for the screen by Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Sandra Oh, in her first prominent role since Grey's Anatomy, plays a MI5 agent and has a kind of fascination for female assassins and just so happens to come up against one. <laughs> in the last episode. <laughs> yes, who, who is actually called Villanelle. The series, there's a cat and mouse chase between those two central characters and it's a drama, but it's also a black comedy as well. So, yeah. What do we all think of Killing Eve? I loved it. I thought it was great. Really nice characters. The assassin character, even though, you know, obviously she's going around killing people all the time, you still yeah. somehow liked her, which that is first, weird. Yeah, it's weird. That that first scene where she is opposite a little girl drinking tea or something, and the, you know, it's a scene that's sustained for a couple of minutes, and then Villanelle walks out of the coffee shop and just whacks her <laughs> so that she gets her drink all over her. I need to kind of think, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> Killing aside... <laughs> <laughs> you do feel a little bit like you want to be her a bit. <laughs> she doesn't take any shit and she's very clever. Really, really, really self-aware and, and such a dynamic female character. And I like the fact that there's two female leads in this. Mm -hmm. It's uh, I thought it was great. We should mention Ian has left the room. He's walking his dog. Not Ian, a euphemism. <laughs> we assume. He, just, he didn't have a dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ian has not uh, seen Killing Eve, so he wants to remain spoiler free. But we're actually not going to talk about too many spoilers. No, not too many, no. I mean, I don't think the spoilers are the important thing about it. I think it's the, the, the characterisation. I've not read the books. Mm. I don't know anybody that has. But certainly the TV series, it's Phoebe Wallabridge's voice through and through. Mm. I'm a massive fan of hers. Yeah. I was wondering that, especially seeing as I think we're hearing that she's not going to be working on the next mm -hmm. series. I think she's exec produced it, but she's busy making Fleabag 2. Mm. Yes. Fleabagia. Yeah. So she's not back to write the second series. Mm -hmm. Just producing it. Which I'm worried about because so much of it was her tone. And I think the plot was the least interesting thing about it to me. I love the characters. I love yeah. the dialogue. Love the relationship between the two leads. If you took all that away, yeah, I think you've got a fairly generic action yeah, plot. Yeah. But there must have been something in the original for them to mm -hmm. want to adapt it. You perhaps shouldn't assume there's nothing there. Yeah, there's obviously something there, yeah. but I mean, if you read The Godfather... Apparently these ones are just like short 50-page... Mm -hmm. There's fourth or little novellas that have been joined together yeah. into that book. And I don't think Eve's introduced till the second one of those four. It's a male writer, isn't it? Which is odd, because I can imagine... Mm -hmm. Yes, I noticed that. That yeah. looks something. Because it felt like female voices you were hearing. Yeah. And which I was nice. Yeah. Luke Jennings is the mm. author. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I could imagine in different hands, the Villanelle character could have very easily slipped into like sex object, cliche, objectified, and she never was. 
I really, really enjoyed it. I've never seen a second of Grey's Anatomy. I only know Sandra Oh, I think, from the Paul Giamatti drinking wine film. Dancing in the Blue Iguana she's in, I believe. Uh, God, what's that film called? Sideways? Yeah. Yeah. She was great. I mean, there was no reason for the character to be American. I think they cast Sandra O. Oh. It's a British-made production, but yeah. it was made for mm-hmm. BBC America. I thought she was good in it and more likeable than I found her in Grey's Anatomy because of the character differences. Yeah, definitely. Ridley Scott said it was so good. Shows of this calibre are a real threat to the movie industry because... You well, it's a real threat to the movie industry if the movie industry has turned out shit like Alien Covenant. <laughs> 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 True, it's down to the quality, yeah. yeah. I worried whether it would be able to keep the momentum, and it did. Mm-hmm. The supporting characters as well are all very interesting and well-drawn. Uh, her husband was an interesting character, not mm. just a, a, a cliche. And that felt like a real relationship. Very yes. So. Yeah. yes. And I liked, because uh, looking at him, I expected him to be Polish and have a certain sort of accent, but he didn't. They had a bit of about him being Polish, but then... It was a plot device in the first episode where mm-hmm. he could tell what the yeah. witness is saying. But he had no hint of a Polish accent. No. But uh, I seem to be obsessed with playing Bridge as well. Maybe Phoebe Waller-Bridge. <laughs> <laughs> and it also continues the tradition we've had this year of TV that looks as good as action films look. Mm-hmm. I mean, Bodyguard had some amazing set pieces and this, you know, also looked as good as a Hollywood blockbuster. Yeah, it took a bit of a tour of European cities. And, yeah, uh, the location work was really nice. Really, really nice, yeah. It felt real and authentic. I don't really have a bad word to say about it. I kind of felt by the last episode or two, you didn't quite feel how much she was in danger by just being close to her. You felt because they'd already intersected a few times, that slightly undermined that, but that might just mm. be me. Yeah, I, I get what you mean, but I also think that the Villanelle character was built up to be so unpredictable that mm-hmm. she could do anything. I yeah. didn't think there was any limitations because of the kind of things that she just portrayed as doing throughout the series. Mm. I'm going to have to go slightly into spoilers here, so I apologise, but I'm going to try and not be specific. But I wasn't a fan of what they did with Hannibal, the TV series, and they did something similar here. What would that be? The relationship between the two characters becoming them almost in love with each other and like almost of a, oh, right. a romantic relationship, which happened. Uh, did you watch Hannibal? No, not by, uh, There was something about the music. It, mm-hmm. it depressed me. The first series of Hannibal is great. The last couple of series, it's all about the lector Graham relationship and how it becomes almost a sexual relationship. Are you, have you mm. seen Hannibal? Or? No. It was interesting in Hannibal, but it was laid on a bit thick and all the other interesting elements fell away as it concentrated on that. I never got a sense that Eve was going to have a sexual relationship with Villanelle. Mm-hmm. I think she had a morbid fascination with her character and female assassins in general, but I always sensed in the final episodes she was never going to go through. Yeah, I, I thought at the end I was, maybe. <laughs> I, th- I thought Hopefully. maybe. <laughs> Get the tissues out just in case. Because <laughs> <laughs> it would have been sad. Yes. <laughs> People have filthy minds. I was. You oh, have dear. a cry wank. <laughs> <laughs> He's built me a special room and everything. <laughs> it only locks from the outside. That's so <laughs> In summary, how many dubious European accents out of ten would you give Killing Eve? It's nine and a half for me. It's an eight for me, just because I wasn't one hundred percent sold on the conclusion. I'll I'll go nine and a half as well. Nine and a half, well wow. worth watching. Mm. Yep. 
Ian's re-entered the room. Ian's not seen Hi. this yet. Um, based on those ratings, would you like to see Killing Eve? Yeah, especially if there's a special wank in it. I'd like to, uh, <laughs> I'd like to see that. Now, I'm going to watch an episode, and I'm going to watch it tonight. And then you'll watch several more. Will I? Mm-hmm. That's happened to several I, people. I, 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 watched... I have no idea what it's about. Absolutely none. So has Beverly watched it? Bev's watched them all so far. She's mm-hmm. up to date, but I've told her not to tell me anything. Mm-hmm. She never tells you anything no. anyway. She <laughs> tell me anything. She's gone on holiday, apparently. Some bloke called Keith. Uh, oh, I've heard Hello. about him. Have you? Like, Ooh, no, about him, do you? Is he nice? Yeah, he's lovely, yeah. He just, yeah, he'll yeah. treat you well, don't worry. All right. I'll, I'll just stay in with um, Dr. Foof. <laughs> <laughs> And that is all we've got time for today. Thank you very much indeed for listening. Remember to catch us on social media at Nerfest UK, Twitter and Facebook is where we are. Facebook. Facebook. I'm from Facebook. Yorkshire. Facebook. My Yorkshire comes back around every now and again. Have you got a little y- y- Yorkshire in you? I do, yeah. You like Sybil? Just finish the episode. Sorry. <laughs> it's a Yorkshire pudding. Just finish the fucking episode, will you? <laughs> Um, what? Uh, That's the end of the episode. That's, it's the end of the episode. I'm... Uh, so you can all fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Just hard cut. That's it. <laughs> we'll have a scream at the end. Yeah. Um, we'll be back with episode 23, but in the meantime, you've been listening to... Peter Johnson. A confused Sam jumped into a podcaster's body. <laughs> Oh dear, and I think I'm still Hazel Burton. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. 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 Did you know that Spider-Man can't actually do whatever a spider can? Really? Yeah, and also... What, what, what is he lacking? He, he can't shoot webs from his ass. <laughs> There's a, uh, a Spider-Man song I like, uh, which uh, is the like from the original. It goes, Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a spider can. Climbs a tree, jumps a rope and all that business. And then it goes, chop off a leg, can still walk about. Chop off another 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 leg, and then he's fucked. It's only a flesh wound. Spider can spins a web any size, catches seeds just like flies. Look out, you'll find a Spider Man.